I want an all-woman security team on every transporter immediately. No one is to transport down to the planet unless it is on my order. Aye, aye, Lieutenant. What are you doing? Taking command of this ship. Bridge to all decks, welcome aboard a brand new episode of Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. I'm Scott Nance. And I'm Steve Morris, and I feel strangely compelled to leave the studio right now. Steve, you're, you're, you're losing some energy, and it's going to take not one, not two, not three, but four women to bring the energy back to you, my friend, because on this very special podcast episode of Enterprise Incidents covering the fourth episode of the, the animated series, which is, of course, the Lorelei Signal. We have three very special guests who are going to do our deep dive conversation. And after that, we are going to have an amazing interview with actress Michelle Hurd. She is Raffi on Star Trek Picard. Season three is amazing and it's dropping on Paramount Plus. But Michelle Hurd had a homework assignment. Her assignment was to watch the Lorelei signal, which she did. And after our conversation, she's going to join us for an interview to talk about this landmark episode for Nichelle Nichols and Lieutenant Uhura. And of course, she is also going to weigh in on the greatness of season three of Star Trek Picard. And I have to say, and I said this in every episode of the animated series we've done so far, that when I watch these animated episodes, I am constantly reminded of the fact that this is a great Star Trek series. It was not, you know, tailored down because it's quote unquote animated or a Saturday morning cartoon. There's a lot of stuff going on here. There's a lot of stuff going on in this one. This is a landmark episode. And to join us, we have not one, not two. We have three <laughs> guests joining us here on Enterprise Incidents. So we are welcome. We are welcoming. We're so thrilled to welcome three of the Sci-Fi Sisters. Welcome aboard Enterprise Incidents, Sabrina Wood. Hey, hey. Welcome aboard Enterprise Incidents, Yvette Blackman-Tom. Hello. And welcome <laughs> aboard Enterprise Incidents, Tamia Harper. Welcome aboard, hello, everyone. Hello. So excited to have you join us. <laughs> so I got to start with my partner here. And just to say, like, what was your take going back and re-watching the Laurel Eye Signal? It's been the same take that I've had on every episode we've watched so far, which is wonky animation and unbelievably repetitive music aside, <laughs> it's Star Trek. And in particular, Nichelle Nichols, you know, that's what we're going to talk about, but she nails it in this episode and it was so much fun to see. I, I got to tell you, when I was rewatching this and it's not just been years since I rewatched or even saw probably maybe once or twice the lower eye signal. But I, when, I, when I was watching and I, you know, I got my laptop on my lap and I'm taking notes while I'm watching the episode. And then like you get to that moment, you know, that moment, you all know what I'm talking about. And I'm on, I like cheered. <laughs> like it's, a, it's like something like if you were watching this in a theater, people would be hollering and whooping and applauding. Yeah. Um, so, so let's start, Yvette. When, when, well, first I want to just ask, like, what was your entry point into Star Trek in particular? What made you fall in love with Star Trek? Oh, that's to two totally different things. So <laughs> my, uh, I don't know. My mother and her and her aunts are all Star Trek fans. So it was on in my house when I was born, before I was born. 
it just was there all the time. I did not pay attention to it. I had an aversion to it. Uh, but my entry into it was probably uh, on my own was DS9. Um, I did watch TNG, but that was my soon-to-be now ex-husband's T- um, Star Trek. But I <laughs> loved. But DS9 was mine. You know, I that I went when I even when I was in the military, I watched it. I had the books. You know, all of that. So that was my. That was totally my entry into um, Star Trek. Was DS9. About you, Tommy. So I um, remember growing up watching original series uh, in syndication reruns as a as a child. Like I'm a child of the '70s, so it was. I was like five or six, and you know, first seeing No Kill Eye, and you know, and being enamored by um, Uhura, and um, fascinated by Spock, and totally crushing at a really young age on Jim Kirk. It was really sad to say, um, <laughs> but that's how it was. Um, but then, um, then when Next Gen came along, I was absolutely watching Trek every every night, every weekend, you know, and, um, and then, but then like Yvette said, DS9 came along and, and rocked my world. Uh, but so Trek has been with me my whole life, uh, and still remains like my, my comfort food of all entertainment and media. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's still my, my go-to for everything. There's always Trek on in my house of some fashion. Uh, well, uh, first of all, as someone from the syndication generation, you know, like, like you and like Steven, you know, we're, we're all part of that generation where we discovered it on like, you know, five times a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do have to agree uh, that DS9, Deep Space Nine is the series that that has aged the best of all these shows. It is, it is excellent. And, you know, I remember when that premiered in 93, people were like, oh, it's on a space station. You know, where's the starship? And like, hello, it's the best of the uh, of the other shows. Uh, what about you, Sabrina? Like, what was your entry point into the world of Star Trek? Well, I am uh, from the original broadcast. So I was there when the show started. Wow. And uh, so I was 10. I was there with, you know, Fran, me and Whoopi. We're all watching the show together. So. <laughs> so I've been watching it forever. Um, all the whole years. I'm completist, seen everything, done, you know, haven't read all the books. That's that's Yvette's, but I've read a lot of the books. Well, you know, one thing I just want to ask with regards to to this episode we're doing today, the Laurel Eye Signal, is when this aired, okay, on September 29th, 1973, it was the basically the 83rd episode of Star Trek to air. It was directed by Hal Sutherland, who had directed all of the episodes of the animated series from the first season. But what's great about, among other things, about the Laurel Eye Signal is that in terms of air dates, this is the fourth episode of the animated series to be written by a veteran of the original series. In this case, it's Margaret Armin, Mm-hmm. who wrote original series episodes like The Gamesters of Triskelion, yep. The Cloudminders, and one of my favorites, certainly from the third season, The Paradise Syndrome. And I just love when I was rewatching this and, you know, you get the opening credits with the cool song, uh, cool music and Shatner's, well, you know, voiceover from the original show. And it says written by Margaret Armin. I just go, oh, wow, that is so, so cool. But what was your take 
your initial take that during your rewatch of the Lorelei signal, like, what did you think? I told you earlier, we were watching it um, like all together. We did a, a Saturday morning ca- cartoons with all our listeners. So we, we, I, I, I knew that name before. I was like, these are people who wrote Star Trek. You know, we're all talking about it. And then when, when it comes on and Ahura is on there and she's like on the bridge, she's got lines. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. That's more lines than I've ever heard her say, like in the beginning, you know, throughout the whole, you know, episode, maybe she'll have a few more, but she was just, I was like, there's a lot. What? I really need to pay attention, you know, what's going to happen here since she is from the beginning, uh, have, has all these lines. So I know that something good is coming, but I didn't remember it because like I said, when I was younger, I don't remember I don't remember seeing that one. I like I remember seeing yesteryear that was always on, but um, <laughs> that but I don't remember seeing that one. And when I saw it again, I didn't get that sense of I've seen it before, where the other ones I had seen before. So you know, I'm not sure if they showed it as much in reruns uh, back back in the day. I, I don't know because I don't like I said I don't remember seeing it at all. You know, Steve, Steve, you and I have talked before, you know, when we were doing our, our deep dive with, you know, the, uh, the Savage Curtain, which was the last episode produced where Nichelle Nichols appeared. You know, she wasn't there for our yesterdays and she was not there for the Turnabout Intruder. So not only you had Savage Curtain as that last episode that she was in, but you had that exchange on the bridge between Uhura and and Lincoln, you know, where she says, we've learned not to fear words. And I just thought when we were doing our conversation on that episode, like, like, what was your your take, Steve, on, you know, it's basically the last time we really talked about Uhura. And now you have this like great moment <laughs> with her in this episode. There's an expression that I think comes from the guy who wrote Save the Cat, whose name just flew out of my brain, but it's a book on screenwriting. And the expression he uses is the promise of the premise, which is that the idea is that in a story, you know that it's going to go somewhere and the story has to deliver on whatever that promise is. Mm -hmm. I think the Lorelei episode delivers the promise on the premise of Lieutenant Mm Uhura, which is that you set up this person right at the very beginning or in an early episode. I don't remember which one it was where uh, Uhura takes over at the helm. You know, and I remember us talking about it way back then and going, it's so cool because you see that this person is just as competent, just as experienced, that she's a full member of the crew. And now in the Lorelei signal, we get to see that promise revealed that she actually knows she can command the Enterprise. Like I I absolutely from where we ended up in the original series to take it to here four episodes into the animated series. It's a thrill for me, really. Uh, I, and you know what, Steve, that's a really, really good point. Like. Like you see Uhura, the episode you're referring to is Balance of Terror. Ah, and when I should mention my favorite episode of Star Trek. Right. I remember that. It is your favorite episode of Star Trek. But so you're right. And what's great about that moment when Kirk tells Uhura to take over navigations after Styles goes down to help. And so she just walks right up, she sits right down at navigations. You know, she walks right by Captain Kirk, who's like looking out, looking elsewhere on the bridge, complete confidence in her. And Sulu looks at her 
with a with a smile like mm-hmm. cool <laughs> right <laughs> it's such a great moment but you're right it's like sort of that early episode sort of sets the stage for just how totally ready she was for this moment when the enterprise needed her the most you know what was your take on on sort of that kind of an arc going from that moment in balance of terror event to uh to to this <laughs> i think that's a star trek thing because i noticed when you said that they did the same thing to uh beverly crusher where mm. picard leaves her in charge uh, in descendants too yep. right and mm-hmm. then the well, before that she flies a shuttle pod into the sun and then he leaves her in charge and then from there she's on then we see her on the bridge and she's mentoring uh Deanna to go get her command and then at the end she's you know in a different timeline she's a captain so that's what it reminded me of when you were saying that how you know they set it up so that you can see that even though these people are not um on the bridge everybody is confident in their abilities to do more than what they're what you see them do every day and I think that's what I love that that's they had already done that with a, a horror but I Unfortunately, I'm just noticing that, you know, I'm, it's sad that we're just noticing that. I wish we would have would have paid attention to it a little more and then maybe we would have seen more. I don't know, a different time, maybe. Well, that is why we are here. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Tommy, what, what is your take on on just your rewatch of this and just sort of being like, wow, this is like 1973 and you can just hear the exuberance in Michelle Nichols when she's doing her voiceover. She's having a damn good time. Man, I feel uh, you're, you're so right about that. I mean, that's what her performance is on this episode is, is uh, far beyond everybody else. I mean, it really, she's giving you full on drama, right? Like she's really playing this role. I felt like listening to everybody else, they were just reading their lines off of a little script and they're like, oh, we got to get through this. Let's just say these lines, you know? Um, And, uh, but she was like, no, I'm in command and I'm going to show you fully what it's like for this sister to be in command. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know, I mean, I love that, um, you know, as was referenced before, you know, we see her in this minuscule moment in a, in a, in a moment of command in balance of terror, right? It was just a moment, but here, and and it's, and it wasn't, and it was like a kind of like a passive shot, you know, like she, I think she was sitting, right. You know, like it wasn't like an active command, right. There's here. She's, she's leading, she's problem solving, she's delegating, you know, she's, it down on the field in the field with her troops, you know, she's, you know, it's very actively fulfilling all the levels, all the areas of command. And she, and her, her voice performance is amazing. You know, I mean, and I was thinking when, when I heard her, I was like, Oh my, she was so, she was like, do this. She's like, Lieutenant so-and-so do this. Da-da-da-da. And I was like, yes, ma'am. I was, I found myself like, you know, hopping <laughs> yeah. too. you know, I was like, okay, we're going to get this done. We're going to go get these men, these foolish men off of this planet surface, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, duh, she already told you once, like, it's not right. a message y'all. Like, oh no, you know, she did have that in her voice though. Yeah. Like, she was like, damn it. Didn't you hear me the first didn't time? Didn't you hear me the first time? Which is only a tone, like, which is a tone that black women throughout the centuries have perfected. <laughs> like I done told your butt once already. 
I told you. And now I'm out of Sabrina, what's your take on that, Sabrina? <laughs> it said, I'm with the sisters. I mean, she said right in the beginning, she said, I don't hear any summons. Like, what are you talking about? And what I, there were so many lines in there. I know we're going to get into the deep dive, but um, I, I just love this whole time that she's at the helm. And I, I swear to God, I thought there was another time she took the helm when, uh, uh, you know, when they were having a court martial and they were all on the bridge and they were muffling the sounds of the heartbeats. And then the in the, court martial. The, the, yeah. Right. And then the uh the the orbit started to decay. And Ohura was under, I think, I think she took over, right? Yeah. And she got she got them out of the descending orbit and everything was cool. And I was like, Yeah, I know she did, because the Commodore was on the bridge. He was like, Okay, go girl. I was like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there were two times. She did. Sabrina. You, you, first of all, so 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 in the in the animated series episode, uh, I think it's Bam. She did Bam. she she was in command again, but it wasn't as central to the plot as it is in this one. But Sabrina, that is a great point about court martial. She goes from navigate from from communications again to navigations, and as she is bringing the Enterprise back into its orbit after it was starting to decay, it is Commodore Stone. Paid play by yep. the legend Percy Rodriguez, Percy right? Rodriguez. Thank and you. he's Thank looking you. at her, right? And looking at the screen and looking at her. It doesn't cut to anybody else. And it's just such a great moment. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. I just wanted to remind you all. Yes. <laughs> Commodore Stone <laughs> just wasn't gonna wasn't gonna backseat drive the girl. He was just like, okay, she's at the helm. Um, I know we got to get into our deep dive, but I did have one question I wanted to ask first, which is, you know, you all said how in your own way you came up with Star Trek. And I was curious, how important was Lieutenant Uhura to you in your early experience of this show? (laughs) Totally. The queen. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was it. Yeah, that was that was so it. And I we've talked about this so many times, but I don't mind talking about it again. It was it was everything. It was you can't explain that to somebody that wasn't there at 10 years old and saw all the crap you were seeing on TV and then see this. And you're just like, what am I looking at? I just don't even understand this. So it was great. And it, and for all those years, all that time. And um, I'm so glad that uh, everyone is starting to realize how well they always have. But um that's the true importance of that position in that time. And I think it's really coming out now, especially with her documentary and uh, since her death. And I, I was really pleased with the tribute that she got when she passed because she certainly deserved it. And I think now mm. it's there indelible how important she was and how important that moment was when she first said hailing frequencies open. Absolutely. 100% agree. Yeah. She put that perfectly. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> so when uh, Margaret Armin uh, submitted her script, she did a revision on May 22nd, 1973. And there was a second revision that was written on June 5th of 1973. Now, what's interesting to note is that Gene Roddenberry back on the original series actually wrote a treatment that was similar, I guess, uh, similar in, in its overall scope to, uh, to Laurel Eye Signal but it was for a never produced episode called the Venus planet. And I'm guessing that the Venus planet might have something to do with the Venus drug that we saw in Mud's women. I don't know, but just trying to connect the dots here. <laughs> Very cool. 
So it, we always go into what was going on in the world when this episode was aired. And in the first few weeks of the uh, animated series, there wasn't big news items so much. And uh, that's not true for this week. The episode aired on September 29th, 1973. And on September 22nd, we are continuing to build towards the Six-Day War. And Sadat is meeting with Assad in Damascus to plan their attack. At the same time, though, King Hussein of Jordan met secretly with Prime Minister Golda Meir of Israel to discuss peace. Well, that discussion isn't going to work out well. Uh, Henry Kissinger was sworn in as Secretary of State. On September 23rd, Pablo Neruda died, the famous poet. On September 25th, uh, Skylab Mission 3 returned to Earth. And this one's just crazy. I don't know how much you know about uh, Spiro Agnew, who was vice president at the time, but he was very, <laughs> there was a lot going on with him. And he had been <laughs> accused of bribery and he was being investigated by the U.S. Justice Department. And so in order to get out of it, which is kind of amazing to me, he went to the Speaker of the House and asked the Speaker of the House of Representatives to impeach him so that they would take the investigation out of the hands of the Justice Department. And I just think, man, you're really wow. desperate when you ask to be impeached. Uh, and Spiro Agnew resigned the vice presidency two weeks later. On uh, September 27th, uh, the Soviet Union launched their first Suez rocket in over two years after they had had a disaster. On September 28th, the headquarters of ITT was bombed by the Weather Underground, which is a extreme radical left-wing terrorist organization, and they were protesting ITT's involvement in the coup in Chile, which we talked about last week. Uh, a Palestinian terror organization seized 37 Soviet Jewish immigrants in Austria, and a lot of people think that the attention that Israel then focused on this is part of why they failed to see the military buildup in Egypt that was coming because the, the war was coming. On September 29th, and this was just fascinating to me, is Rose Mary Woods, who's the personal secretary to Nixon. Her job was to transcribe these recordings. <laughs> and on September 29th, she found an 18-minute and 30-second gap on one of the recordings where the speculation is that Watergate was discussed. Uh, she says she erased it by accident, that she hit the wrong button. She yeah, doesn't, re doesn't, really, <laughs> doesn't really ring so true. And that was what was going on in the week up to when this episode aired. Wow. That and my French homework was due. I hope you got an A. I, I, got, I, was, in, I was in high school. So <laughs> tough week. A tough week. So shall we get into the episode? Let's dive into yeah. the Laurel I okay. it. So we start with a log where we hear that we're entering an area of space, which sounds a lot like the Bermuda Triangle to me, where every 27.346 years, a spaceship has disappeared. And I really like that they found this out by having discussions with the Klingons and Romulans who have also lost ships in this sector. This, so, so a couple things to note. So first of all, you, you, you have a moment of, of clarity between the Klingons and the Romulans in the Federation, uh, at least... At least the seeds of of Worf being on the Enterprise a hundred years later was kind of sort of like they got that ball rolling a little bit, um, with with a you know sort of temporary moment of like uh, uh, you know getting together. But what's interesting is that the star date, the captain's star date of fifty four eighty three point seven. So if you go in order of the star date, that puts this adventure. In between, for the world is hollow and I have touched the sky, 
And is there in truth no beauty? So the Lorelei signal does take place during the fifth year of the five-year mission of the Enterprise. There you go. Okay. Um, okay. And we hear that it's 20 seconds until whatever is going to happen happens, and we count down, and nothing happens. So I guess that's it. We can just head home. Captain, I'm getting some sort of subspace radio signal. Put it on ship speaker. So what did you think? <laughs> what did you first think of, of this, you know, Tommy, when you get to the part where where this 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 humming signal, which sounds a little haunting and beautiful at the same time. Well, I thought it was uh, completely appropriate that Uhura was like, ooh, sounds like music, you know? And that, I mean, and I was like, absolutely, you know, because the woman whose ear is tuned, um, mm. you know, to, um, well, first of all, because of her interest in music and song, but also tuned to recognizing communication in all its different formats, you know, would be the first one to say, uh, sounds like music and, you know, and then leading into maybe we're going to be trying to communicate through music some kind of way, you know, I, I loved that. And all the dudes stand up and have a reaction well, and yeah. they start to talk about. That seems to be calling us. Strange. Yes. I got the same feeling myself. It does resemble a summons. And this is the moment you brought up before. Horace says, I find no resemblance to a summons captain. And he just goes, but then you know that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. But that's a really great point because, because from the beginning of the series, the original show, Uhura was a uh, a beacon for music. I mean, look at her her singing in Charlie X. Uh, look at her beautiful rendition of Beyond Antares in The Conscience of the King, mm-hmm. which whenever I watch that episode, I'm just completely floored, like, like to this day by how beautiful her voice is. And then when she starts humming that, that theme in the changeling, you know, of course, nomad has a problem with that, (laughs) you know, but that's a great point, Tommy, about how, how, of course it's Uhura who notices first, because it's not just communication, but she's the one more tied to music than everyone else on the bridge. And this is what I really like is right from this moment where Kirk ignores her, she knows not only does she know something up is up, but she's acting on it instantly, right. which is she calls chapel to the bridge. Are you all right? I am. But I want you to observe the men here. My favorite line. <laughs> observe the men. <laughs> so, Sabrina, what's your, what's your take on on she how Uhura, you know, she doesn't talk, try to talk to Spock, who's right next to her, because she probably sees that he's also being affected. She calls chapel. She calls her right up there and she's like, you have got to come up here and look at these crazy men. I don't understand what's going on. She, and, and Chapel comes right up and she didn't call the doctor. And it was very strange that she asked, like after Kirk says, noted, Ahura just says, okay, I need another witness and gets Chapel to come up and look. And then she gets ignored. <laughs> 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 they say, you know, as soon as they say, oh, there's something going on, they said, oh, somebody called McCoy. I said, Chapel's standing right there. Why didn't you just have her do the skin? She's standing right there. <laughs> it's funny. Ter- terms like mansplaining hadn't been invented yet at this time, but clearly <laughs> oh, the yeah. phenomenon existed. I am experiencing audiovisual suggestion, Captain. So am I. 
it's so funny because when you recognize that you're having hallucinations, the next thing you should do is not do what the hallucinations are telling you to do. Mm-hmm. This is basic <laughs> drug trip etiquette here. And they are ignoring that because they say we're having visions and they go and that it must come from the probe. Sir, what visions? We don't see anything. So let's go down there. Yeah. <laughs> they get in touch with McCoy. And McCoy starts uh, talking about magnolias in Blossom. Mm-hmm. So going straight to him. And this kind of made me think of he's talking about magnolias, you know, when he when he's affected by the spores in this side of paradise and he starts talking with his southern accent and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Only the men are affected. And there's that there's that shot. Kirk and uh, even Spock has this look on his face. Uh, event, you know, we're, we're at this point, and you know, you see, like the men are, the men are checked out. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I've seen that look. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the way you said yourself, like I looked, I was like, yeah, I know that look. So you know, they're just done. I mean, other parts of their body is working. You know, the brain has been fogged over, and they're just gonna go. You know, it's it's like the. Um, the sirens, the songs of the mm-hmm. sirens, right? You know? yeah. yeah. So they—that's all they hear. So it's like you know, let's walk to, walk to the sirens. So, uh, you know, I that look was perfect. I look at it. Whoa, this cartoon is excellent. <laughs> I even wrote that it's in so my fun- notes. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. <laughs> no, it's fine. It, it's so funny because I—I always thought in my brain this is oh, this is the Uhura takes over episode, but I didn't think of it as the until watching it again of like. Oh, this is the guys are stupid episode. <laughs> yep. You know, that's, what, that's what this is like. That's what we love about it. <laughs> well, like, well, okay, I want to back up. I want to back up because the whole order was stupid. I said, if you know every twenty-seven point three six four years, right, yep. a ship is going to disappear. The first thing you're going to do is go there when it's going to disappear. Like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you go like a week before and look around? Why wouldn't you just yeah. put a buoy up and tell people just? Sail around it. Don't go there. You know, no, you're gonna sit there and see what happens. Why don't you like put your tongue on that frozen pipe? Yeah, let's see what happens. <laughs> the minute I heard Romulans and Klingons, I'm like, ooh, yeah, you gotta listen right. to that. No, no backup. Yeah, no backup. <laughs> oh. Just the Enterprise. Yeah, we're gonna go. What are we waiting for? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I never, I, I never thought about it, Yvette. But now I really like the idea that the Romulans and Klingons got together and went, oh yeah, let's tell. Yo, you should totally go there right? to <laughs> find out what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and they boldly went. They boldly like, went. I'm like, like hey, you, gotta, you can just you want to you just look at the Klingons and the Romulans. They're like going, we got them. We got them. We figured it out. But the Lorelei signal, the term Lorelei is actually based on a legend of a beautiful German maiden who threw herself into the Rhine River in despair over a faithless lover and was transformed into a siren who lured fishermen to their destruction. So that's sort of the mythology in which uh, the episode is, is based. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the Odyssey too, right? Cause this is Odysseus <laughs> getting drawn. Yeah. 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 But, but, yeah. but Odysseus was smart enough to have them tie him to the mast yeah. while he listened to it. Kirk <laughs> made no such good decisions. <laughs> nope. And then he puts Scotty's in command sounding all kinds of blissed out, <laughs> whatever he's listening to. 
and we're going to beam down a, a scouting party. And then I love it's another great horror moment. And I think it's great for several reasons, which is she says, These figures just don't match up with Spock's. So far, I count three sensor readings that are off. And I suddenly went, is Uhura always double checking Spock? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like when he's seeing stuff, she is. Well, obviously, <laughs> she knew exactly what to do. And she, so she can do that job. You know, it's another, it's another skill set she has, which is great. So we're down on the planet, and there's just just a weird moment where the red guy asks if he should do a thing, and Kirk goes, "No, I think Spock will do it." And I was like, "Why is this in the episode? It's such a bizarre, yeah. and it's just weird." Yeah, why did he say um, that? That was weird. It's weird. Well, and it's particularly weird because there are a couple of moments in this episode where it seems like they were sh the episode was short, and so they were finding ways to make it longer. And I was like, "Oh." I you so could have given me more Uhura in command right. mm -hmm. and not had these moments that are stretching out the episode. Yeah. Also, um, also as much as, you know, the, as this episode is great because of the Uhura takes command moment, you know, it's, you never actually see her sitting in the chair, which really would have been awesome. Yeah. Um, that's a great point. But also one thing I noticed when they beam down to the planet and they're looking at all the, all the curvy architecture is that the, the, the map paintings, you know, the storyboards of the animation for the animated series in general is, is really quite beautiful. And of course, you could do all this stuff uh, for animation, certainly stuff you couldn't do in live action. But while people kind of get down on the on the, you know, the 2D animation, especially with like Kirk and Spock and McCoy and, the you know, some of the sloppiness there, I think the storyboards are actually beautiful. And, you know, when they're on the Enterprise... And you're hearing the voices of Shatner and Nimoy and Michelle Nichols and so on. And you're hearing the sounds, the bridge sounds, you know, when they're on the bridge. Yeah. You know, I, I used to record these episodes on my tape recorder when I was a kid. So whether it was the animated series or the original series, it all sounded the same because it's the same voices and it's the mm -hmm. same sound effects. So that's another reason why this show is oh it's not star trek for kids it's star trek period okay. now we finally have uh, one of the guys say something reasonable which is spock says captain the urgency of our feelings suggests visual compulsion i advise remaining at a distance until i can determine the extent of its influence yeah good plan <laughs> kirk just goes nah <laughs> sure. <laughs> totally doesn't listen. It has a total Kirk moment. Well, but what's funny to me is how many times has Kirk used his Kirk-like strength of will to overcome the influence of spores, of the disease in the naked time, split into, I mean, this is what Kirk does. But I guess when it's ladies involved, he's just like, nah, we'll just keep going forward. And let that be a lesson to you boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> listen. It has brought down many of men. <laughs> I I have experienced of which you speak. <laughs> uh -oh, uh oh, but I think they were trying to show that um, that Kirk was the one that had, you know, he was the alpha male in this group. He had the most life force, so I think mm. he was being affected the hardest. You know, he was oh, he was the one yeah. that was seriously luring. He fell down first. They were going for him. 
So, you know, and then the others were like, yeah, okay, you're feeling it too. I mean, Scotty was just singing. He didn't even see anything. <laughs> That's a really good point. So it's it's Kirk's, let's just call it his sexiness that is working against him in this circumstance. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I'm trying to say. his powers. Okay. okay. Wow. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, that's how I'm going to that. Okay. There you go. And Hello. they head inside, and there are a lot of blonde women there who are very excited to see the landing party. And they look exactly the same. <laughs> uh, and we meet Thela, who is the leader of them, whose voice sounds very familiar to me, Scott. I am Thela, the head female. She sounds just like Nurse Chapel, doesn't she? Because she is too voiced by Majel Barrett. It's like Majel didn't even like try to disguise her voice. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. She's blonde. Nope. I'm blonde. What am I gonna? Why am I gonna work this? That's it. Yeah. Blonde voice. So, and we get some introductions, and we hear that they're physically a little bit different, and it's weird that they know all of the crew's names because of the opto odd, which is a really bad name for a piece Oof, of technology God, it's so bad. an opto because i didn't know what you they know, was i had to rewind it like five yeah. times and be like opta is it octa or opta i'm like what it. what are they I saying the and captions. it's an odd it's a it's an oid it's a vod what yeah yeah multiple times i had to turn on my uh the close the, the captioning mm -hmm. because i couldn't i couldn't figure out what they were calling it so i, I you know backed it up and then i put on the captioning and i'm like the opto-odd that and i thought that's a really weird name steve <laughs> it is it is weird and it's also activated by by singing musical tones so mm -hmm. very quickly can i ask anybody else if they were reminded of uh is it um the spock's brain no like totally not oh, yeah. star trek uh the search for the holy grail was that search for the holy grail when it's brave Sir yes, i was brave Sir i had Robin? the same thought <laughs> Yeah, and when they go to, is it Castle yes. Anthrax? Yes, Castle Anthrax. And there's all the women there? <laughs> yes. And they get dragged out? Yes, I totally was thinking about that when I watched it. Absolutely. I was just, I just started yeah. laughing out of the blue while I was watching it because I was having Monty Python references. <laughs> Reflexes. That is an amazing, an amazing connection. See, I was thinking how, how you have uh, a planet dominated by women or at least controlled by women who have control over the men. I'm thinking <laughs> not of the Holy Grail. I'm thinking of Spock's brain, you know, the yeah, givers of pain and delight. Um, this episode is better than Spock's brain, yeah. yes, it is. but that's sort of like where my head went. <laughs> There's also the horrible episode of next gen, or in my opinion, horrible episode where it's the women dominated culture mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. they dress that Riker is. up in the outfit. Yeah. And oh. that was the first season episode. And yeah, the first season, uh, yeah. was not that great. <laughs> yeah. You're not the only one who thinks it was horrible. Yeah, that is, there's, there's some rough going in there. Uh, so mm -hmm. we're back in act two and we hear a log and we hear something that we've heard, I think once or twice before, which is Kirk struggling with the log because he's a bit out of it. Captain's log, star date 54 AD 3.9. That would be sure leave when, uh, you know, oh. he's exhausted and uh, after the opening credits, when he comes back to, uh, you know, the, the first uh, act one, uh, Kirk is giving his captain's log and he he forgets he forgets the star date. And he goes, uh, point three. <laughs> this is why it's good to have you as a partner, Scott, because I know you will remember all the things that I won't. Um, I don't want to. <laughs> also somewhat true. 
The beauty of this place is unequaled. It's the answer to all a man's dreams. And it's weird to me, by the way, again, this is there's there's a lot of things filmmaking wise where this is a cheap show and they've made some weird mistakes. And the fact that we're looking at a shot of the Enterprise while Kirk is on the planet talking about the beauty of the place is not good filmmaking. <laughs> we should be on the planet with him looking at the beauty of the place. And we go back to uh, the, the women who are dancing. The guys are reclining. And then we hear these are the most beautiful women in the galaxy. Can I just say, like, when I heard that line, like, everything in me went, Bleh! you know, <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. Like, the most beautiful women in the galaxy? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah like, oh, as a yeah. black woman, when I'm yeah, sitting here looking at an eyes. identical white woman <laughs> with blonde hair and blue eyes, and, and they're going, oh, it's the most beautiful woman in the galaxy. And I'm like, you know, there's a lot of other women on this planet, right? Y'all know that, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like there's beauty comes in all forms, but it just made me want to throw my remote through the screen. And I guess I understand the times and, and I totally understand, you know, who was writing it and predominant culture. I'm just saying, sometimes you get a little fed up with mess and um, you know, that was just one of those times. But I mean, if I had seen that in the seventies, like, I mean, I didn't watch it, the animated series originally, I was too young. I barely remember when, it, you know, I was two, but uh other stuff that I watched in the seventies, I, you know, you just take it, you just, it's normal, like, right. It's normalized. Like this is the way it's supposed to be. But now, you know, as a 50 something year old woman, you know, I hear that and I go, yeah, no way. Like you could never get a lot away with that line today. And like, it just strikes me in a different way. It almost took me out of this episode, just hearing that one <laughs> yeah. thing. Well, we see this a lot though. You know, we, so we see it again in TNG where they went to the planet and everyone was blonde and beautiful and they were all running around and they were perfect. Mm -hmm. And we even see it in the movies where, you know, um, the time machine, you know, going way back where the where the beautiful people that were left after the whole earth had been destroyed. They were all blonde and beautiful and perfect. You know, so we see this a lot in sci fi that if there's going to be a totally beautiful race of people in the most of any galaxy, they're white and they're blonde. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And perfect. Whatever. And perfect. <laughs> it, it's it's so crazy how codified that was and continues to be in in our images of what beauty is. And as a anything but a blonde, blue eyed guy, like I'm like, why? Mm -hmm. Um, but I do have a question about this moment too, because to me, how much do you think it is? that they really are trying to say these are the most beautiful women in the galaxy. And how much do you think it is? These guys are on drugs. Like their, their, their minds are being messed with and that's why they're seeing it that way. That's a good point. Tommy, what do you think? Okay. So from the characters, I think that they're speaking truth. I mean, they might be, their minds might be messed up, but they're all pulling up and accessing things that are mm. as seductive and beautiful to them. So I think that, you know, like a lot of times when you're drunk, sometimes the truth comes out, you know, uh, mm -hmm. I think it's uh, absolutely what they're thinking about. And, and then from the writer's perspective or from the production standpoint, I think that, you know, it's just normalized and just another example of systemic racism. You know, <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know, it's the bias. It's the inherent bias. Yeah. Um, so. You know, so I, I see it on as both of those ways. But I think that they felt like to them at that moment, I mean, you know, that that was the, their their paragon 
of beauty. And I'm, okay. so, I'm sure that I, they also felt like more effects, uh, more attraction, but I don't think that they thought any, would have thought any differently. But, right. Cause also I noted that, um, they never showed you who Sulu was thinking of. Mm. Like they, it was always the white guy, like even the alien, what's his name? Arax. Arax. They didn't show you what, they didn't show you what he was thinking of. He was one of the males, you know, but it was always the white human or maybe what, Spock is, Spock is half human, but still. That's who Spock you know, saw too. It was always, yeah, it showed you what Spock saw. Spock but, didn't know, see a Vulcan Spock woman. Is, he can go both ways though. <laughs> yeah I, the 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 spock because spock shows he's hearing a vulcan drum and we see a woman drumming but she's not a vulcan mm-hmm. like i i i really i just i think a lot of it too is just the cheap animation and the not reviewing things and thinking about well you know if we had more money and a little bit more time maybe we would think through some of these things but mm-hmm. but it definitely falls into some real caricatures i guess mm-hmm. yeah. um and so spock gets up he's going to try to do something and they hit him with something and all of these guys feel faint and they all go down he got dodgeballed <laughs> yeah like, boom and no one no one reacts jim jim and now we see McCoy and Spock and Kirk all wearing headbands, all looking about 30 years older. And that, of course, you know, the aging process is, uh, I mean, of course, you're going to just instinctively think back to the deadly years where where they aged very quickly over a short period of time. But in this case, the aging process is the result of the headbands that they're wearing, which are draining their energy. And you made a really great point that Kirk's was draining faster because uh, he, I guess, was more of the alpha male in the landing party than the others. We're back on the Enterprise, and we've the, the women's science team have run some scans, and here are the results coming over the computer. Working. Probe directed at ship from planet surface is severely innervating to humanoid males. That voice sounds not like Majel Barrett on the computer. <laughs> that is correct, because as we all know, up until Star Trek 2009, the first movie that J.J. Abrams directed, the voice of the Enterprise computer was comprised by Majel Barrett. Well, not for this episode. The voice for the Enterprise computer in this episode was done by Nichelle Nichols, who voiced not one, two, or three, but four characters in the Lorelei signal. Steve, I know, <laughs> I know how wow. you feel <laughs> about like James doing, you know, voicing like six characters. Um, but hey, you know, <laughs> budget, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> she was there. She was there, yeah. right? They probably, I mean, she, she probably doing her voiceover and they hadn't done Majels yet. And they're like, hey, can you do this one too? <laughs> Lieutenant Uhura to Security Officer Davison. Davison here. I want an all woman security team on every transporter immediately. I'm like, this episode's cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, uh, by the way, when she, when she does that, I wrote in my notes, I said, this is where the episode starts to get good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. No one is to transport down to the planet unless it is on my order. Aye, aye, Lieutenant. What are you doing? Taking command of this ship. Okay, can we just talk about this moment? All right. So, Tommy, raise, you know, start with you. You get to this moment. She says, I am taking command of the ship. When you're rewatching, you get to this point. What do you think? I'm thinking, woohoo! 
yeah, woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. It is. It was extremely exciting. And this is what I'm, one of those moments I'm talking about when um, Nichelle Nichols was just giving a performance of her life, right? Because yeah. the way she said it, like, I should have been seeing this in a live action film. I could see it all. Like, I mean, I'm seeing the cartoon, but like, it's also playing in my head. It is translating. I'm writing on it, the, the movie, the viewing it through a movie lens, you know? It was said not with uh, reluctance, and it wasn't said with like, oh, okay, I guess I have to do this. No, the whole way through, um, Uhura was confident in her abilities, confident in her assessments, confident in her crew, and confident that she knew what to do, you know, and that she was the correct person to get the Enterprise out of the situation and to save everybody, you know? So, I mean, it was just everything for that moment. And like Sabrina alluded to, this is not a position or roles that you were used to seeing Black women in. This is not a tone of voice that anybody was used to hearing from Black women in mainstream media at all, because most of our roles were completely subservient. You know, we didn't speak with authority all the time. And man, she did that thing. And it's just a beautiful moment. I love it. I, I I hate that it had to happen on the animated series, but I'm glad that it happened at all. I wish it could have happened live action, you know, but the fact that we got it and she knew, you could tell as she was delivering these lines, she knew the importance of this moment and the, what it was going to mean for posterity. That, so absolutely 100% everything you said and then some, because- you know, again, because I hadn't seen this particular episode in so long, and Steve, after we just did such a deep, all-encompassing dive into every single aspect of the original show, from production to history to the story and the evolution and all that, and, and the importance of not only having Michelle when you first see her on that first episode that aired Mantrap in September 66. But also again, you know, we we're talking about uh, uh, Percy Rodriguez as the Commodore in court martial. Okay. Like when you're watching that episode, it's, it's, you're, you're not drawing attention to the fact that this is a black man in charge of a Federation starbase. He's a man in charge of a Federation starbase who happens to be a man of color. He's, they did not draw attention to this. Uh, and here's the show in 66 when that aired. Um, like, that's the sort of thing that makes me look at, at the, the original show and just go, really feel proud to have been so, so moved and have my life been informed by that series and every other Trek series that followed. And it wasn't until really, till Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, when we saw not only a woman in command of a starship, but a black woman in command of the starship Saratoga, played by Matt Sinclair. And I remember seeing that in November of 60 or 86, being like, that's really cool. I mean, Yvette, like, what's your take on the significance, not just of, of Michelle, but like that she gets to this point in this episode. And I agree with you completely that it would have been great if this had happened in live action, but still the power of her performance, that vocal, you know, it's just so it's a rousing cheer inducing moment. 
she you can feel it when you listen you can feel her I I know I could just listen to it and know that's a black woman. I don't have to know anything about the show, the inflections, the 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 power that's in her voice, the confidence, you know. And I don't know in '73. I don't know if I was thinking about that, but when I watched it again in 2000 and 2021, I felt that, and I was like, oh man, how did I miss this? And I remember because I think Sabrina was on when we were watching that. For the um, on the the Saturday morning cartoon as we were doing, and we kind of looked at each other even on Zoom, like, "How did I miss this?" Huh. You know, and the power. I think she became something more to us. I know to me because, you know, I wasn't I, like I wasn't paying attention to Star Trek. It was there, but I knew a horror. Everybody knew who uh, Nichelle Nichols was, and we in the, in our community we knew she was a horror. You might not even watch Star Trek, but you knew who a horror and Spock were. Um, but when I watched that, I was like, wow, she meant more to me after I watched that because I watched the movies cause I really got into the movies, the TOS movies. And she, when she was in command, when she was, you know, the, when she was older and she was more senior, she was the commander. I was like, finally, you know, she's off the, off that, off that communicator. She's doing <laughs> more. But when I saw this, I was like, wow. I wish I would have known more. You know, I wish I would have seen this because it would have made me feel better about her. Because I always said, ah, here she goes again, you know, that one line. But then when I saw that, I was like, you know, that I think that kind of informed me more about her. I looked, I went back and looked a a little deeper into uh, who Nichelle Nichols was, who Ahura was. It's just um, when you see someone in that position, you know, it gives you a little more confidence and it makes you feel a little, a little bit better about them. You know, I, I like I said, I didn't, my, my take on a horror was a little different than probably uh, Samia or Sabrina's. But when I saw that, I kind of was like, you know what, I need to, I need to go back and figure out what's going on with a horror. Cause you know, this is making me feel better about her, um, her position on, on the, on the, uh, on the enterprise. And Sabrina, what's your take on that? Well, the thing about that whole scene is is everything that you know my sister said there, but the line before that she says when I'm taking command of the ship, and I don't know whether this is Margaret Armin that wrote that line, but Ahura does something that they never do in any of the other shows. She secured the transporters. First thing, I mean, they mm. always had somebody transporting down, you know, it's going down, up, and then all of a sudden, oh, somebody's at the transporter. Like, who's not on the transporter? Ohura goes, secure the transporters. I'm taking control. And that's when I said, oh, that's a sister. On the, okay, sister on the bridge. <laughs> that That is a great point. Uh, there's so many things that, that they probably should have secured many, many episodes. And that's a great point. I hadn't thought about it. Uh, I, two, I don't want any more thoughts. men running down to the planet. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I have two thoughts. For, I mean, first of all, this is just a, a, an amazing moment of Star Trek. And I think in thinking about how these issues were treated and and what, you know, Scott, what you brought up and what everyone else has brought up is like, this is why Star Trek was so formative to me, because the way all of this is treated is, well, of course she should take over. Like, there's no there's no reason why she shouldn't. And that for me, that was how my thinking was created, you know. Watching Star Trek as a kid formed that idea that like, well, of course, you know, this shouldn't be an issue. Why would this ever be an issue? That was the first thought. The second thought I had thinking about this is that in the original series, it's very much 
Kirk is the lead character, Spock is the most interesting character, and you have the big three, and then you have everybody else. And all the later Star Trek shows are ensemble shows. Oh, absolutely. Where every character can lead an episode and will, even though, you know, Picard might be the central figure and Data might be the most interesting person on Next Generation, but you're going to have a Deanna episode, you're going to have a Worf episode, you're going to have all of the characters. And I wonder if this moment is like, almost like the beginning of that, is like, hey, we're going to take who is one of the minor characters and we are going to let her shine. Because Kirk is not shining in this episode at all. He accomplishes zero. Spock barely does better. And it's like, no, this could be an exciting episode because we gave Uhura the chance and she can shine in that chance, you know? That's a really good point. And that's also a good point that Kirk doesn't really do much in this episode. So this is the fourth episode of the animated series. And it's the second that we've seen just really Kirk not being as proactive as he usually is because in yesteryear, you know, the, you know, the episode that Yvette saw 500 times, um, <laughs> you know, had no other episode of animated series. Um, <laughs> you know, this was this, you know, Kirk really hasn't been at the forefront yet of the animated series. And what's interesting is that when Margaret, Margaret Arman, who wrote this episode in 1973, she was quoted as saying, that Nichelle Nichols was reading the script in the audio and she looked up to me and said, good for you, Margaret. It's about time. She further says, I was hesitant writing the script, but I realized that Lieutenant Uhura is a qualified officer aboard the USS Enterprise, which goes right back, Steve, to your point and everybody's points here. She is able, able to command. I spoke to Dorothy about this and she agreed. And Gene Roddenberry said, absolutely, positively, it should be done. By all means, do it. So there you go. I also think it's interesting that the story editor on this show is named DC Fontana because she couldn't use Dorothy because it would hurt her career if people knew it was a woman who was writing this. Mm -hmm. Well, by by this point, the animated series, uh, you know, when she first started doing the original series in 66, that was definitely her mindset when she got her first credit on Charlie X. But by this point, she was starting, she used the name Dorothy Fontana when she was referred to as the story editor. Mm. But as a writer, you know, she was still, you know, DC Fontana. So that's the credit she went with. But what's what's interesting is that uh, when Fontana and Roddenberry sort of were worried about how NBC might feel about having Uhura take command, NBC had no problems with women being the heroes here. So way to go, NBC. <laughs> that's great. That's um, good. That's uh, good. By the way, speaking of Kirk being pretty ineffectual, that's what we're going to see right now. He suddenly remembers that he has duties. Yes, duties. That's it. And Kirk and Spock try to get up, and basically they, the ladies toss these old guys around like rag dolls. Um, oh yeah they sure do and then we have uh this moment where we see the ship come into frame and we hear scotty singing and it goes on for a long 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 time (laughs) okay so so all right uh, Yvette, take it from here. <laughs> it just reminded me of the motion picture. <laughs> so, like, you know, 
It was so funny because my daughter, my oldest daughter watched, she just got back into, well, she just got into Star Trek. She did, she did TOS. And unlike us, unlike us, she didn't have a 10 year gap between the end of TOS and the motion picture. So when we're in Vegas and she's watching it, she goes, why are we still looking at the ship? Why? Why? And we try to tell her it's been ten year gap, so people are like, "Oh, the Enterprise." She goes, "I saw it ten minutes ago. I don't need to see more of this." And that's what I thought. I was, and it just made me think, like, it's a cartoon. Why are we doing it? But then I think Steve said they were trying to fill, like, fillers. They needed fillers. So I know that's like, my guess. Right, but the way it came into the shot, it was it like came in really, really slow. Really slow. <laughs> now, okay, what I will say about this <laughs> is, here you have Scotty singing, and this Welsh theme that he's singing. It's a ballad. Uh, I don't want to butcher the name. Erhoifen uh, Malin, uh, which translates to the Yellow Cream, which was written by Eifen Wynn. And it's about a man in love with a woman named Gwen, and he milks her cows for her, and she falls in love with him. That's what the ballad is about. But one of the vivid memories I always had of the animated series is this moment of the Enterprise coming into frame really, 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 really slow, and you hear the singing, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? When you're watching this, uh, Tommy, what, what went through your mind uh, uh, as we reached this moment in the episode? Almost the exact same thing as Yvette's daughter. Like, why am I still looking at this ship? Like, I mean, I was just so, <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, I don't understand what this has to do with things. And then I was like, okay, are they trying to show how impaired Scotty is? Like, but yeah, what's the connection yeah. with the song? And like, is that supposed to be the song that he's hearing in his head? Like when, you know, everybody had their own version of what they were hearing, but I was like, but why is it going on so long? I didn't understand. And I was, and I was really grateful when it was done. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Scott, as senior Lieutenant, I'm taking responsibility for the safety of this ship. And Scotty's response. Very thoughtful of your love. <laughs> Very thoughtful of you, love. <laughs> Just give me the keys. Uh, give me the keys. And, and, <laughs> Just give me the keys. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and and now we get to hear her give a captain's log. Ship's log supplemental. Lieutenant Uhura recording. Due to Chief Engineering Officer Scott's euphoric state of mind, I am assuming command of the Enterprise. I accept full responsibility for my action. She's in charge. Again, I, I that's one of the beauties of doing this sort of arc that we're continuing now into the animated show. And again, it makes great sense because she is able. We have seen that she is able many times before. And just the empowerment, again, with that, that powerful voice that Michelle Nichols has. I mean, she's a singer. So, of course, she's going to be great in a VO booth. But just that, that moment where she tells uh, – Margaret Armin, you know, it's about time. This is her, like, I don't care if it's animated. This is my moment. And I'm going to, I'm going to turn it to 11. <laughs> and she makes uh chapel, her chief medical officer. And which is and so awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. As it should be. <laughs> and we're down on the planet and we, you know, pull out McCoy's med kit and everyone gets some stimulants and we managed to open up the door 
and they run out being chased by the women and they see this you know giant urn in the middle of the landscape and go let's hide in that which they climb in <laughs> bad it's idea all, <laughs> it's all dumb it, yeah it's it, it's so fun i mean like the animated series is so uneven and so you have things like the ridiculously long scotty song and the animation that's r- really just still frames and you know let's climb in this urn and yet you also have uhura taking over the enterprise which is awesome so it, it's a definitely a mixed bag uh, and one thing we notice is that when Thela and the other women are close, their headbands are glowing. And when they move farther away, the glow goes down. And so it seems like they, their energy drains faster when they're closer to the women. This is also like, like the best of the original series is when you have a race against time. And now the ticking clock has been established for the Laurel Eye signal when McCoy observes in four days we'll be dead. So... That stakes have just uh, been raised a little higher on this one. I have retained more strength than any of you. It is wiser if I go to the temple to try to find the communicators and contact the ship. And Kirk doesn't even have the energy to say anything at this point. He just goes, yeah, okay. He nods. <laughs> and Spock climbs out, makes it to the you know the throne room. He makes the weird musical noise that turns the opta-odd thing on. And... He says, where's where's our equipment? And it's in a little drawer under the throne, and he gets his communicator, calls his Enterprise. Request rescue party, all female. And Spock passes out, and that is the end of Act 2. And we come back into Act 3, and what do we hear for the first time? Ship's log supplemental, Lieutenant Uhura commanding. I paused my uh, Blu-ray, I backed it up, and I heard it again. Ship's log, Lieutenant Uhura commanding. Steve, everything, the flaws you're saying, whether it's some of the pacing or whatever, but this is what makes this episode not just a great episode, but one of the best moments in Star Trek. Lieutenant Uhura commanding. Uh, you know, you're hearing this, Sabrina, like for the first time, I'm guessing in a while. Like, what are you thinking? Oh, yeah. I, I, I feel here now. We're coming into like, okay, now we're going to get busy. She's in command. And as you were saying before, you know, fewer thinks that they're going to lure all the rest of the men down. But as I said, no, because Ahura is already locked down the transporter. So nobody else is coming down from that ship. Ahura is in command. Everything is in control. And don't get, don't let me come over there. Is the <laughs> next line. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just because it's about to go down. <laughs> So Uhura has assembled an all-female uh, security rescue party, and they beam down. Lieutenant Uhura of the Starship Enterprise, we're here to locate Captain Kirk. Return to your ship. You are not wanted here. Until we find Captain Kirk, we will not leave. And sets their phasers to stun, and they open fire, and they take all of the women out. It is boom, a great boom, moment. Boom. Mm-hmm. Like when you see all the female securities, which... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but has was there? Did we ever see a security guard or security member of the Enterprise in the original series? I don't think we did. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, oh well, well there was Yeoman Tamara no. from uh, Peace of the Action. Yeah. Uh, was she was she a Yeoman or was she a security person? I mean, she's wearing the the red the red. Uh, skirt but is she is she actual security although when they do their their break and uh and kirk says uh, or spock says uh 
to to her, you know, don't let this woman leave, sit on her if you have to. And, you know, she's standing there with the disruptor and, uh, you know, Mia 3 just has this look in her face. But I'm pretty sure that, that that was the closest we got to a live action female security officer on the Enterprise. It, it's interesting to me is like there are kind of two choices and we sort of hinted at them a little bit is that you, you could go with the first command story that the character is insecure or indecisive and has to sort of find their voice as a leader. And you could go the moment they're in command, they're fully in command. And it's so funny as a, as a writer, instinctually, I would go to the former. Like that's where my brain would probably go given a story. And it's so great that they do the latter in this case, because Ahura is, there is not a moment of hesitation anywhere in this whole episode. She is ready to command And Even this moment where she goes, search the temple parties of two. She's taking no prisoners here. <laughs> you literally, <laughs> we see old Spock. They're having trouble finding anybody. And then chapel hears Spock's voice in her head. Miss Chapel. Wait, what is it? I heard Spock's voice. Christine. And I do like that he reaches out to her, makes a lot of sense. And I do like that he calls her Christine. Okay, so here's my question. Here's my question. Who I, I don't know who wants to take this first, but how was Spock able to telepathically communicate with Chapel? And did we see something? or some things in the animated series that set the stage for this ability by which Spock is able to communicate with Chapel and no one else. Yes, we did. Yeah. Okay, let's hear it. Come on, guys, really? Don't you remember when Sargon came and they had the three globing balls and Spock That's was in Christine's body? He said, we shared consciousness together. Right, Tina, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. I yep. I have my notes right here, okay, and I'm I actually going to read the show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sabrina I, has seen every single Star Trek show as it aired. And syndication. Go ahead. No, I want to hear the notes because you got you have <laughs> great notes. Them. I'm loving these notes. <laughs> okay, the notes say Spock communicating with Chapel telepathically possibly after they sh shared the same body in Return to Tomorrow. First of all, it, it, like Steve said, it makes so, such great sense. And it's such a nice touch for him to call her Christine after he refers to her as Christine in like a mock time. And after they had that moment in the sick bay in the naked time. And then definitely in Return to Tomorrow, where they shared this consciousness uh, during that, those final moments with Sargon, and that when when that was finished, you know, Chapel was was so delighted that she got <laughs> to do that. That is how that connection was established. That is connecting TOS to TAS. And excellent job, Sabrina. Glad you were thinking on the same page with that. Awesome. Just to highlight that for a moment, I think the Christine thing is great too because it's what Chapel's begging him to call her, and he's resisting. So the fact that the moment he really needs to make contact with her, he chooses to use her first name is great. Um, and they go, you know, that he must be hidden behind a panel and we're looking for a button. And as she's trying to find the right button, her sleeve manages to turn red and then back to blue for a moment. <laughs> in an obvious animation era. There's other ones later on in this episode. Magic. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and now Spock looks super old and the storm is hitting and the dudes in the urn are having trouble because the urn is filling up with water <laughs> and they're trying to climb out. We're up on the bridge in sickbay. We take the headband off and Spock says, Instruct female engineer to divert ship's energy into deflector shields. And at this moment, the nurse that is standing next to Spock, her skin changes color. It's different color in the wide shot than it is in the over the shoulder. These should have been spotted. They're not small errors. They're big errors. (laughs) And we're back on the planet. And Uhura, to demonstrate how powerful they are, shoots like a vase with the phaser, which disappears. Release Captain Kirk and his men or we will destroy your temple. I love it. I love it. You're shaking your head. Uh, talk to me. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> this whole, this whole act, I, cause I'm famous for saying star, Starfleet security is pure trash because <laughs> they're just horrible. But in this instance, I was like, man, you need the women to be leading Starfleet security because they took no prisoners here. Worf would have been like, please let me shoot this. Please let me shoot. No, shoot it. Let me show you what I got. Let me show you how this works. This is what's going to happen if you don't do what I tell you to do. You are so right. You are so (laughs) right. When you compare the security, the female security team in this episode compared to basically every other episode of TOS, you're like, the the security- TNG also. (laughs) TNG, sure. But the security, some of the, a lot of the security, they're like the stormtroopers in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. They are totally worthless. Like, they're not a threat. (laughs) But- don't mess with the female security officers in the lower eye signal. They are definitely, uh, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. Well, and I think Uhura in this instance is clearly a disciple of Kirk, who is aggressive. Kirk is going to make an aggressive call, and that's what she's doing right here. Um, and Thela goes, doesn't go, I'll show you where Kirk is. For some strange reason, she goes, okay, let me show you the history of my planet right now, which is very... It's weird, but what we hear is that when they got there, the men started getting sick. The women developed the power to, you know, take the energy from the men, and that's how we got to where we got to. Big um, exposition dump, <laughs> and not, and just weird. Like why why at this moment when the urn is filling up with rainwater and our guys are gonna, and Ahura's just threatened her. She's like, well, I let me just tell you a bunch of stuff. <laughs> what about Captain Kirk and the others? Can the Optoard locate them? We shall see. And they asked the Optoad, and it can. And I'm like, well, why didn't you use that before? Why did you do that in the first place? <laughs> like, you know? never look exactly. <laughs> I mean, Spock used it to find the transport, the, the communicator, but you never thought to use it to find these guys. I'm like, these women. <laughs> <laughs> and and just really briefly, like going back to um, like, okay, why are we going to have this like info dump now moment? You know, like the like there's there's crisis, there's a crisis happening. We need to save lives but we're going to stand around and talk for a minute, you know, um, instead of solve the issue. And it just put me in the mind of like discovery season three and discovery season four. (laughs) And I'm just saying, you know, there's a crisis happening, but we're going to stand around and talk for a while. Um, you know, (laughs) and then we're going to get back to saving the universe. This, this, this thank you (laughs) exactly i I think discovery might have more talented people involved and more resources involved 
to make a bad show than anything I've seen. Mm. That's I, I, I love the performances. I love the Everyone's talent great. on the screen. But the, I, you know, not to digress too much. I generally, I think that Star Trek has uh, is, is a weekly adventure, and to extend stories over sixteen episodes is really, really difficult. I think you know what DS Nine did with some of the three parters and the five parters that they did, and later in the show, you know, they did it just right. Ivan Stephen Bear had a vision, and and he was left to do that, and he did a great job with it, which is why I think that D Space Nine A was a trailblazing show, and B holds up so well, but 16's a bit much. I think that's why I think season one of Picard might have been a little bit of a stretch too. But with Strange New Worlds, like you're like, okay, let's kind of bring it back to that something new every week. And I think that's one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why I think Strange New Worlds is is a really good show. And I love Lower Decks. Lower Decks is so fun. I love Lower Decks too. And like, don't get me wrong. Like I do love disco, you know, like I... I had issues with those particular two particular seasons um, because of the pacing of the storytelling and because of like yeah. a lot of head scratchers, but you, you know, I still support and love that show, you know? And yeah. um, because I love what they're trying to do also, and I think they're going to get it right. I think they're going to get the balance, you know, I can't yeah. wait for the new season, you know, and, you know, I, I just think that um, there were moments uh, that I wish that writers who had more uh, interest in completing the action and showing the action <laughs> had sway, you know, I mean, I'm not an all action or nothing person. I'm just saying that like, I'm not trying to have a crisis moment. Like one of my big critiques is I'm not crying about stuff or having a crisis moment in the middle of us, like battling up for our ship or battling to say, you know, the clock is ticking on saving the universe that's not my time for my heart to heart, my heart to heart. It needs to come before or after that <laughs> you know? for me. That's, you know, like, but like, you know, but I do love disco and, and I, like you said, I love the, um, I love the cast and I love the performances. I love the production. You know, there's so yep. much that's good and oh, yeah. positive about that show. So I'm really hoping that they get it together. I'm really hoping that this next season is the season. Uh, and I go, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Uh, I, I agree 100%. I was going to say, Disco is the show that gave us what we saw in this show, in Lorelei Signal. It finally gave us an all-woman away team, you know, in the Deadless episode, right? It was the first time we see it is 50 years later. <laughs> we finally get three women, you know, going on their base and, you know, finally. And I, it, was, it was shocking to see. Absolutely. Um, so we deduce where the guys are. Uhura opens fire on that urn and they all come tumbling out in the water. Uh, we're back up on the Enterprise in uh, sick bay as the camera moves across our very, very old guys lying down. And we're not having any success. And finally, Spock says, perhaps the transporter is the key. And now we're getting into one of those. Introduce the idea of a technology that could basically solve all problems in Star Trek in the future, <laughs> which is that, hey, our old patterns are in there. Can it just reset us back to where we were? Possibly. But the odds against us are 99.7 to 1. Which is some pretty bad odds. <laughs> but <laughs> they beam down to the planet, and they reprogram the transporter, and Chapel says, But this has never been done before. Suppose it fails. Their patterns will break up, scatter in space. 
and then they beam them up and it doesn't work at first. And then, you know, maybe they recircuit to B or something like that. And then they all appear. Did it work? You're more handsome than ever. Okay. So first of all, I love the reference to obsession, Steve, where you're cross circuiting to B. very, very nicely done. See, you. you know a lot more than you think you do, my friend. And I just B, don't know as much as you. <laughs> and then you have that moment, Uhura saying to Captain Kirk, you're more handsome than ever. But there's, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there a little bit of sarcasm in that comment? I wanted there to I, be more sarcasm in that comment, but I didn't hear it. I didn't be more, I didn't feel it, but I definitely wanted to be more. Yeah, I... I I, I I didn't feel it either, but I think it's a really weird line. I hear sarcasm in that because the look on her face, you know, like she's kind of got like a, you know, oh, you're more handsome than ever. Like, like you know, I think she's being sarcastic. I think she is one step ahead of this guy. Uh, and it's a, a perfect way for Uhura to stick the landing in this episode. Well, I will agree with you that the there is a dissonance between the actual look on her face, which I attributed to like crappy animation, um, and the voice work on that on that moment. Like, because the look on her face did was a little bit like, mm-hmm, Kirk, yeah, you you look you're great. Thank buddy. you, great, <laughs> Now that that's how it looked. But then I heard her voice, and it was, but it and it sounded very sincere. And I was wondering if, like, for me, I was wondering if that was a producer's call to, like, change the line or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I have a real problem with this moment, not just because it just plays really, really weird. Mm-hmm. But this is, I think, Uhura's last line in the show. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, all, and this, is, this, is, this is my big problem with the episode, is that all the stuff that, like, the Scotty singing that's like, we got to fill time, there's no final Uhura moment. There's not a moment where Kirk goes, great job taking over the Enterprise. There's not that moment where she she gets to go, you know what? It felt pretty good to be in command. You, you know, know you know, like something that this is big stuff that happened and we don't re- deal with it at all, which bugs me. That, well, but you know, I think the, the pacing of this episode is problematic because you have you have moments that feel stretched out. Uh, padded, if you will, like the moment with Scotty and the Enterprise going really, 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 really slow across the screen. But then you get the end of the episode where the the women are talking about, you know, being able to, uh, you know, forsake immortality for a life of hope, new learning, and perhaps love. And it feels extremely rushed and abrupt. Like it's like, guys, we're we're out of time. We got to end this episode now. That's how that feels to me. And, I, you know, it's fine that they want to find love, but it's also a, a sexist, you know, mm-hmm. trope of going like, oh, we just had this episode about this woman taking over and being just a badass in charge of the Enterprise. And now we have these women saying, hey, maybe we'll find love someday. You know? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. A, it's a, I think it's a bummer. Yeah. It's a bummer. Me. Yeah. It's it's really like a like polar opposite of like the, the best moments of the, of the show itself. I agree. I always, I was wondering again, like, is this like just of the time, you know, or did we have some producer's hands in there, you know, um, that were messing around with the script? You know, I wonder if she actually wrote those lines, if those were the lines that she really wanted to be said at that point. point. That's a really good question. Well, That's you know, a really good question. If you look at the other three episodes that she wrote, you know, in Gamesters of Triskelion, she has Shauna 
you know, becoming basically enlightened because she meets Kirk. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll look at the stars. And it, even even in um, Paradise Syndrome, Mirmani, she she gets enlightened because she's loved this man from the future. Kirk has shown her all these new things. And then even in the Cloudminder, we see, again, you know, it's Spock this time. He's enlightening this woman. He's telling her, you know, this and that. And she's she's like, oh, maybe, I, you know, maybe I'll find somebody like you. You know, so I don't know. Margaret has this sort of little little thing where these men come and show them new things and then they're just awestruck and they just want to find love or whatever. So now here we are, we're saving a, a whole bunch of blondies and, you know, they're all <laughs> going to be enlightened. So I, I, I think it's a thing that I don't, I think it's a Margaret thing. I, I wonder, I, Sabrina, I wonder if uh, also Margaret was smarter than everybody around her and just knew exactly how to get her script sold, you know, because right. like, she, yeah. you know, another, she, another yeah. Thing. yeah, she yeah. knew who she was writing for, you know, she knew who was right. going to, what they were going to accept and what they weren't. So if she could put in what she could put Why in, go? you know, yeah. like, this is for you guys. Like, here's the meat of what I really want to say. And then I'm going to throw you guys this bone because, you know, and make it more palatable for you. Good point. Right, right. So I mean, what she and has to do. She did say they had no problem with it. Right, right. I'm doing what she had to do so she can do what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. Right. right, good point. Well, she wrote for a lot of shows. I mean, she also wrote for The Rifleman. She wrote for The Big Valley. She wrote for The Mod Squad. So she, she was, she knew how to tailor that script to get her stuff on the air. So she probably did tone it down a little. And after, after Fontana. She was the first, I think, the first woman to write for the original series when she did Games of Triskelion. So, mm-hmm. uh, and also, you know, what's interesting is that her first episode that she did had Uhura on the landing party. And when they, uh, Galt says, oh, this, uh, this drill thrall was uh, uh, too late in obeying an order, you know, punish this guy. And she goes, no, I won't do it. So, you know, even in that one, she had, she had some some good stuff for her to shine doing. And mm-hmm. she was part of the landing party, which, you know, she really didn't get the chance to do very much. I, I think since uh, sitting on the edge of forever, when she was brought down on the landing party. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the end of the Lorelei signal. I'm sure all of us have thoughts about it. I, I'll, I'll share mine first, which is I look, Captain Kirk was my hero. Spock is one of the greatest characters in all of science fiction I love them. But one of the things that we said many times, and Scott, when we did our sort of season wrap-ups, and we said, well, what was the the most underutilized character? And frequently, we said it was Uhura. And we kept saying, man, if you just give her the ball, I know that she can do more. We see these moments, like in Mirror Mirror, like in Gamesters, where we see what she was capable of, and it kept being like, man, if only she had a shot. And this just proves the point. It doesn't resolve the problem because there's not enough of it. But man... Lieutenant Uhura could be Captain Uhura, and I would watch that show. Uh, I would absolutely watch that show. Uh, Sabrina, what's your what's your take on the Lorelei signal, especially after this conversation? Um, I like like we said, I only first saw this just last year or this year, so it was pretty new for me. I mean, I'd heard of it, I knew the story, but um, I loved it. I loved the lines. I loved that it was actually Nichelle. Uh, voicing the character. I didn't realize that she had voiced some of the other characters too. And I really yeah. love the fact that, you know, when we saw um, like Jordy LaForge take over and he got the blowback from, you know, another commander on that ship, like he was challenging him. But like we said, 
this was written so that there wasn't ever even a challenge to Ahura taking over, number one, because there wasn't any other woman on the, on the ship to challenge her, but they just let it go. And I, I really appreciated that she didn't have to go through an extra hoop. She just went for it, did her job, got them back, and handed them back the keys. So I loved it. Okay, Yvette, how about you? What are your final thoughts on the Lorelei signal? It's a great Ahura episode. And I love that. I think uh, you mentioned how this might have been the first time that the the other characters got their own episodes. And I love that this is her episode. And I I remember on um, Strange New Worlds, I kept saying that uh, the second episode of Strange New Worlds, oh, finally an Ahura episode. Well, come to find out that is the second Ahura episode, not the first. So um, that's what I take from it. The first Ahura episode. Absolutely. Sure. And uh, Tommy, what's your take? I just love this episode. I, 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 I had a lot of fun with this episode. This is the episode, one of the only animated series episodes that I had seen previous to us doing a, a watch of it. And it's what compelled me to go back and watch more um, of the episode. It fills something in me that I really didn't even realize that I was thirsty for in such a way, which is seeing, well, it's on multiple levels. It's seeing Uhura in command you know, and in command so wonderfully, like, you know, so brilliantly, but also just like a Star Trek episode where there are security issues at stake and the security is handled correctly. Like, I mean, it just felt good to go through this episode and be like, yes, that was the right decision. Yes, that was the next right decision. Yes, that was the next right. And I wasn't yelling at my screen like, what are you doing? Why wouldn't you just X, Y, or Z? You know, like, (laughs) as Sabrina said, why aren't the shields up? You know, like, why are you letting, why are people just able to stroll on the bridge that have nothing to do with the, bridge? you know, like just ridiculousness, right? It was just really well written. And, um, you know, for most part, and I, and I just enjoyed it. I can overlook the little bits of things. Sure. I can pick some things apart, but I think overall it's a great story and, uh, a lot of fun and seriously important. Important is a word and a half for it. Uh, because when I was rewatching it, it occurred to me that I had an emotional reaction to the Lorelei signal that I did not have to the other three episodes of the animated series that we watched so far, nor did I have this emotional reaction when I was watching 80 episodes of the original show. Of course, that includes the cage. And that reaction was the moment where I went, yes, where it was like an empowering, rousing, uh, uplifting moment when she says, I'm taking command of the ship. I mean, you have moments in the original show that are very suspenseful, exciting, um, and emotional for uh, for other reasons, but not this like moment of like, yes, go. Like that is a great moment to have when you're watching an animated series that is now 50 years old this year. And that's what makes it so unique and special. And for the fourth episode of the animated series that we've done so far, another very, very, very big winner. Scott, this has been such an incredible conversation with our guests, but it's still blowing my mind that we have an additional guest on this episode, and I can't wait to hear what Michelle Hurd thought of the Lorelei Signal. And now, Enterprisers, it is my great pleasure to welcome to Enterprise Incidents. She has been an actress on TV shows like Law & Order SVU, The Glades, the excellent series Blind Spot. If you're not watching have not seen it you are missing out it is terrific and she is the star of not one not two but now three seasons 
of Star Trek Picard. Welcome aboard Enterprise Incidents, Michelle Hurd. Oh, thank you so much, Scott. What a lovely intro. Thank you, thank you. I have to I, say, playing um, uh, Shepard on uh, Blindspot, ooh, what a delicious villain. Ooh, she was so delicious. She was incredible, and I just feel like, you know, a lot of my friends in the industry, uh, you know, had been watching Blind Spot, but I just, if I can sing the praises of that show elsewhere and on Enterprise Incidents for more listeners to hear and seek out that show, I am extremely happy to do so. Yep. <laughs> I, we are seriously, Michelle, we are hot off the presses of an incredible night for you, for a great cast, for great producers, great craftspeople, and I just want to get your reaction from last night's absolutely groundbreaking premiere of season three of Star Trek Picard. How was the night for you and what was the reaction you got? Oh, my goodness. It was it was epic. It was so amazing. I mean, as you know, to to be at the, you know, man's Chinese theater and to see this show on this big screen, which I gotta say, it really comes to life on a big screen. We're, these are movies. We made ten movies, and I don't, I don't think I realized that because you know, you just go to work and you're just excited and you're into your, you know, the story and the characters and all that kind of development. And you're sort of, it's not that you're tunnel vision, but you're quite focused onto the intimacy of of creating a good, solid, truthful scene. But then to, you know, sit in that theater and you know, to see it in such a magnitude. I mean, I am, I'm still floating and, and, you know, as, as the fans to walk on that carpet and to see, you know, LeVar Burton and, you know, Michael Dorn and, and Gates and Jonathan and, 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 and Patrick and, and Jerry, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's an amazing, it's amazing third season. The night was so electric and magical. Um, I absolutely, absolutely love our fans which i don't even think their fans doesn't make it it's not correct now you know because <laughs> you know what it's more right trekkies oh. trekkies are like you know no joke og diehards you know your ride or die they are they are oh they're just they're family they're part of it they're you part are, of you are you are part of this family. I mean, like, and what, I mean, with all the shows that you've done, with all the work that you've done, you know, for these last, uh, I don't want to want to date you, but I mean, this is special, you know? <laughs> um, but seriously, last night, uh, I had already seen the first six episodes of season three of Star Trek Picard. And as a long time, well, honestly, Michelle, lifelong fan, going back to when I was six years old in 1974 and then moving through next gen DS nine. And now here we are with season three of Picard. Uh, I absolutely think that season three of Picard is as good as star Trek has ever been over 50, almost 57 years. Oh my gosh. Oh. But what you said about seeing those two episodes on the big screen, it is cinematic. It, it is it, absolutely it, cinematic. And I, and it makes me think like that's, you know, I think, and not that it has to be in a big screen and not that it has to be that way, but I, I think that Gene, that Roddenberry, you know, he he imagined, he envisioned something that big, something that all-encompassing, something that would, 
you know, just not only blow you away with the message, but also with the visual. And, and it's beautiful that we are able to, at this moment in time, be able to marry all of that and, and present that, you know, I, I, it really, I keep saying it, it came, it, it gave it even more life seeing it on such a, such a vast thing. It makes me, you know, I, I don't know how much it is, but it makes me feel like I wish I could just get one of those projector screen kind of TV. Sort of <laughs> yeah, <thing>. totally. <laughs> I could watch it in my little living room, just be like, <laughs> it, you know, like when I went last night, I was like, okay, well, I've already seen, seen these episodes. I can really just sit back, you know, cause I always take notes and everything. I can just sit back and enjoy myself. And I was just like, whoa, wait a minute. So first of all, I was sitting across the aisle from like, you know, Patrick and Gates and LeVar and Michael and Jonathan and like, I'm like, okay, this is seriously like, like, like really, really special. But like Rafi is in a different place in season three when we start season three. So of course I don't want to spoil anything, but you know, wonder if you could just sort of say, like, you know, talk about sort of the challenges that you were presented with in season three for where she starts and where she goes. Yeah. Season three, we, you know, we find Rafi, um, in a very complicated and challenging uh, position. And she's navigating a lot. And if we all know Rafi, you know, she's a very complicated creature. <laughs> and um, like we all are, like we all are. Um, and she, I think the thing about Rafi is that her challenges and the way that she balances her life are really, um, are, are very present. Like you can tell that she's, she is trying. She's trying to walk that tightrope and she, you know, there's these slips and these uh, moments of of possibly completely falling off and not being able to get back on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, 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 again, I always, I, I really appreciate and I'm so thankful to our writers and our producers and Terry particularly for allowing me to continue to tell the story of an individual who is a, um, who is struggling with addictions, who is struggling with her demons. And, and I love the fact that Instead of starting, you know, like, okay, we're going to do this third season and it's going to be like all this kind of fabulousness and, you know, let's have Rafi just, you know, all healed. Anybody who knows, anybody who is here today suffering, going through the challenges of addiction, know that it is one day at a time, one step at a time, one minute at a time. And I love that I was able to, um, you know, tell that story of, of show a person who is doing their very best doing their very best, grateful for waking up each day, but acknowledging that each day when she wakes up, it's still a struggle, but she mm-hmm. still perseveres. And I think that's what we really see about with Rafi when we we see her this season is that she's really, um, you know, she is be- trying to balance uh, those, those really challenging um, truths that are that a lot of us, a lot of us go through, you know, and, and it's, you know, when you say addiction, it's funny because people sort of recoil or people are like, oh, wow, that's, yeah, that's terrible for over there. And you want to go, you know, addiction could be so many things, alcohol, drugs, sex, exercise, food. Um, you know, uh, you, you could be just afraid to to interact with people, you know, and, and these things are, are things that we have to, you know, we struggle to get over. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful that we could show, you know, that kind of struggle through Rafi so that people can see those people who are going that can see that, you know, you guys are not dispensable. You're not disposable. You're incredibly important. We just need to have faith in ourselves, give ourselves a lot of support and, you know, and understanding and understand that there are good days and bad days. And and I think that you are going to see a bunch of that uh, with Rafi this season. And um, 
and I'm really proud of her journey. You know, I have to say when I was when I was watching uh, uh, what I saw last night, and I was thinking back to just how much Star Trek had covered addiction. And I yeah. realized it really went back to the beginning, you know, the fourth episode that was ever produced, Mud's Women, you know, mm. dealt with the Venus drug that uh, uh, Harry Mud's women were were addicted to and, and just over the years, even into Next Generation. But you mentioned the name Terry, and I just want to just want to clarify, Terry Metalis, who really stuck the landing with this third and final season of Star Trek Picard. And I just want to talk to you about like what made him just the great, the great EP executive producer, showrunner, and also how, how, you know, cause I have not seen the last four, how this season will really, really be special for yeah. the fans. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, what's so wonderful about having Terry is that he's a diehard Trekkie. Yes. His first day as a PA Back in the day was Jerry Ryan's first day on set as Seven. Yep, yep. So I know, blow, mind blown. So they <laughs> became friends at that point. And if you think about like what an amazing journey for him that he was, you know, PA on that set, watched it. He was always a, a Trekkie prior to it. And then to get to a place where for the final season of Star Trek, he is the showrunner, producer, writer, director, you know, he... um it was a home run and and you could feel it. You know, you could really feel it on set that you could feel that he was focused on creating, you know, and, and it's hard to like, it's weird to say like a satisfying, you know, series because it's satisfying. What does that mean? But <laughs> he, he really was trying to create a, a, a thank you and an appreciation and a celebration um, of of our, our iconic, you know, Star Trek characters that didn't get to really have a, a proper send off, and and as well incorporating that into the, you know, our our fans, our family that have come to appreciate and and support Star Trek Picard, this kind of iteration of it, and I mean, he was able to do that in such an amazing way. You know, it's I, I've always said that the three seasons, interestingly enough have almost been stand, not almost, have been sort of standalone seasons. You know, sure. you, you really could sort of, you know, and, and it really comes down to our 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 showrunners, you know, Michael Chabon is a novelist, right? So that yep. first season was, you know, it's really, you know, there's a lot of um, psychology in it. And you can, it's almost like reading a, a really good book and turning the page and, and finding that sort of discovery. And our second season, you know, Akiva Goldsman, you know, uh, uh, Beautiful Minds, right? He won an Oscar for Beautiful Minds. And so it's very, you know, time travel and numbers and all this kind of stuff. And then you get to the third season with Terry Metalis and we get to an OG Trekkie lover, you know? And he really, uh, as you said, he hit it out of the park. I mean, he really, I, at least I I feel, I hope that uh, everybody sees it in the way that uh, it was meant to be, which is a love letter to Star Trek, the whole, um, the, the the world and the importance of what Roddenberry wanted. And, and also just a, a real appreciation and a thank you to these amazing, iconic characters and actors that we've all um, grown to love and, and appreciate. Well, I have to tell you, if it's if it uh, if it means this much to you, Michelle, I have to tell you that at the after party at the Hollywood Roosevelt last night, uh, I saw a lot of my old school Trek friends, uh, some of them who worked on Picard and, you know, next gen through Enterprise, like Doug Drexler, Mike and Denise Sakuda, and so on and so on. 
they it is it was unanimous unanimous last night among us lifelong fans for whom Star Trek has informed our life moving forward, inspired us to, whether it's work on Star Trek or become scientists and become doctors and, and astrophysicists and so on and so on. It was unanimous. We were all at this party last night hugging each other, going like, can you believe this show? It is, it is everything and then some. And I also got to tell you, Michelle, Jonathan Frakes. Oh, my God has never been better as Riker. I, I know, right? He is, I mean, he's he's dashing as he's always dashing, but he's funny, he's um, he's powerful, he's strong, he's, he, he's, I know, I know, I can't. And can you imagine I get to work with him on camera as well as be directed by him? Literally, I'm not gonna say, because I don't wanna give anything away, but the episodes that I got directed by him, I'm being directed by Jonathan Franks and I'm working with, you know, some iconic characters. And I mean, I literally was just like, pinch me, pinch me, pinch me now, pinch me now. <laughs> he's, you know, he's phenomenal. He, he, he absolutely is. And, and, you know, I was really, really thinking about how, you know, I, I, I've seen interviews with you before, you know, when we were, when we were at the Skirball last year, talking about, about Picard and about Nichelle Nichols in particular. So like, you know, when you first discovered Star Trek, mm-hmm. what did it mean to see, Uhura on the bridge of the Enterprise at, yep. at such a time when the series was produced, when that was not common. Not common at all. I, uh, you know, I've said this many times. I'm, I'm, I'm biracial. My father's black. My mother's white. And there's three of us, three little brown girls. <laughs> um, my father, my father is an actor as well. And my father, you know, I, I just got to give it to him. You know, he, he really understood the importance of optics. He he really understood of how important it was for his children to see themselves in this world. And so like on the weekends, we would literally sit down as a family, which by the way, when do we do that now? But we would sit down as a family and we would watch Star Trek reruns. And and I I've said this that you know, I don't know if it was conscious or if it was subconscious, but to see a woman of color sitting on that bridge. And and it's not just that there was a woman of color on TV. There was a woman of color who had importance and power. And, and, and she was there for a reason. She took control. She had grace. She had gravitas. And, you know, as I said, I'm a little munchkin. You know, I'm just sitting there watching it. Ooh, it's a star, you know, whatever. But I know, I know that in that those moments, for these three girls, she allowed us, she she gave us permission to be bold and to be brave and to be present and to go forward and, and to be, um, you know, to not allow any kind of door to close in our face, to, to, to say, I can, I can, I can, she's in space. She is in space for sure. I can walk through this door and get this job. And, you know, it's an incredibly powerful powerful and important um, gesture. You know, optics really matter. You know, we, I, I say this, I, I, I'm a crazy lady now when I see little munchkins, little brown and black, you know, kids on the street because I'm a native New Yorker. 
And if I, you know, they see them with these kind of crazy hair, I literally, I literally will like run as fast as I can to get in front of them, right? So if they're walking down the street so that I can be like sort of walking towards them. And as soon as I get close to them, I go, oh my goodness, I love your hair. Oh, it's just, you're so beautiful. My goodness, I am, you're just beautiful. I had to say that. I'm sorry, I hope I don't embarrass you or I didn't mean to bother you, but I just had to say, you are just beautiful. And the face, you know, it's so powerful because these nobody does that other than family. People don't do that. People, in fact, say to children in school when they've got crazy hair, your hair is unruly. Your hair looks unkept. Go home and fix it. And to say this to a child as a stranger, the 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 smiles that come upon these faces and if they were slouching they stand up and they look at you and they say thank you and it's you know it's it's an important thing and 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 Nichelle Nichols did that for all of us mm-hmm. and you know I I hope people understand that she's the one that encouraged people of color to get into the space uh, uh, you know to uh, NASA to get into space it was Nichelle that's Dr. right King literally called her. And said Martin Luther King literally called her and when at a moment she wanted to leave the show because, you know, as a, as actors, we think like, whatever, we feel like I want to do a TV show and then I want to do movies. And she felt like I want to do some more movies. And he called her and he said, Nichelle, you can't leave. You are going to change this world. You are so important in this show. It's not just a sci-fi show. It's literally the story of our world. It's holding a mirror up to society and you need to be there. I mean, I, I owe so much to Nichelle Nichols and uh, and Gene Roddenberry, you know, for knowing that. It's like he had a crystal ball, right? It's amazing. Sure did. But I got to tell you, so so during our discussions of the original series on Enterprise Incidents, you know, there we realized that while while Nichelle may have thought at that point that you're describing with, with King, how she was like, oh, you know, I'm not doing enough. I think I want to leave. And he said, no, no, no. You are doing a lot more than you realize. And, but going through, we realized that, you know what? She did do more than just say like hailing frequencies open. She had really, really great moments. Of course, like, you know, there's mirror, mirror, you know, there's that, that scene between her and President Lincoln in that one episode where she says, we've learned not to fear words. And then there's, there's this moment in Balance of Terror, which is the first time that the, you know, we met the Romulans. And the navigator left the station to go down in engineering. And Kirk says, Lieutenant O'Hara, take over navigations. No big deal. She walks over from her communication console to navigation. And he, Kirk is just looking around the bridge, surveying the bridge. You know, doesn't matter. She's ready. That's She's right. ready. She sits down at the navigations and Sula looks at her and smiles like, this is cool. Right? So, so I got to tell you a funny story. Yeah. So Neil deGrasse Tyson who is one of the smartest people who ever walked the face of this planet. Truth. I was having a conversation, a Q&A in front of like about 500 people with him a few years ago for his series, Star Talk. And Star Talk is serious. He, he's interviewing famous people about, about life, the universe, and everything. And of course, he interviewed Michelle, he interviewed Bill Shatner. So he's talking about how, like what you're talking about, how important it was for Nichelle to be on Star Trek for Uhur to be on the bridge. And then he says, and then he says this, but Nichelle, but Uhura never got to command the Enterprise. <laughs> so I'm sitting there on the stage with him and I'm going, this is all in a split second. I'm like, uh, did 
Do I say something? Do I correct? Correct. The smartest person in the world. (laughs) All right. So I said, um, not so fast. And he looks at me and I says, there's an animated series episode called the Laurel Eye Signal where the men are incapacitated and Uhura takes command of the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. So he looks at me and makes a comment about, you know, me living in my parents' basement, which I can't describe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like a whole, it was a whole get a life moment. And I said, well, look, you have Star Talk, but I have Star Trek. That's right. And we have Star Trek. And now here we are on the animated series. And we get to the Lorelei signal, which I have not seen in many, many, many years. Uh, This is a landmark episode. It really is. What did you think when you watched, you know, the Laura Icing? Well, I was, I was really, I was glad for the um, homework. (laughs) (laughs) I too, I, you know, I haven't seen it in, in forever. And again, you know, when I saw it, it was, I was a child, I was young and I probably just watched it in the, as the entertainment as it was without really taking in the social uh, impact of it. Watching it now, I was like, wow, wow. I mean, the whole, just the whole episode, you know, that this, some sort of siren type thing, you know, entices the men and Uhura like is on it at the very first moment. She's like, what's going on here? No, (laughs) I'm not getting that signal. Look at all the men. What's happening? Get Christine up here. I mean, she literally, she just, she just takes charge and, and I, you know, and I, I, I know it's an animated series, but I, I, I still see her, you know, you really see her doing this and, and, and there was no like, um, you know, I feel like nowadays or, you know, in some point, like in the last 10 years, if they had done something like that, there would have been this moment of the women sort of getting there and they're all sort of like, you know, a little flustered and they're like, oh, you know, oh, and maybe their voices get a little high. And how do we do this? You know, that little panicky thing, nothing. Mm-hmm. Seamless. She's seamless. And she's, and, and what I loved about it is she's like, you know, like to me, the unspoken thing is our people are down there and they need our help. Let's get it, to, you know, get it together. Let's go get them. Whatever it takes, let's go get them. That was her objective. It didn't matter that she was a woman. It didn't even matter that she was a person of color. It didn't matter any of those things. She was a human being, a part of this family, and she had to go and get them, and she did. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I'm glad I had that homework because it was, and I literally, by the way, I was like, I think I just want to continue watching it. I was like, oh, wait, we have to. <laughs> but um, it's, you know, the rest of the, you know, all the other episodes, but it's, it. I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. Groundbreaking. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I, 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 during my rewatch of the animated series, again, I, I overlooked it and I think it's underrated because it's animated, but you know, when you look at the fact that you have the same actors voicing their roles, you have the same writers, some of the, a lot of the writers from the original show are writing for the animated series. It's produced by Gene Rodberry, story editor and associate producer, Dorothy Fontana, all these people from TOS. But when you talk about how you can see Nichelle's performance in this episode, uh, first of all, when I was rewatching this, that moment when she says, I'm assuming command of the Enterprise, like, like, is there a more rousing, more like, woohoo moment in the original series? I don't think so. I don't think so. And when when she says that, you see it, Michelle, because you can hear in Michelle's voice that yep. she is loving every minute of minute. this. Exactly. There was no hesitation. Do you know, like she has been waiting for that, you know, to say those words. They were not foreign coming out of her mouth, you know. And and also, also how, you know, when she, when she rallies the troops 
all the female security guards. Uh, I'm pretty sure that with maybe one exception, we never saw a female security guard in the original show. And, you know, someone had commented, well, well, if, uh, if there were, they probably would have died like all the red shirts. And I'm like, Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> women, women multitask, multitask, like as we, you know, as soon as we wake up in the morning, not even like when we're sleeping, we're still multitasking. Somehow I think a female would probably be able to dodge some sort of a phaser or at least predict that something else is going to happen. So I agree with you. Yeah. there. <laughs> and, and, and also, I mean, like when you, when you were watching in this, this episode in particular, like, like what was your, your take on just how, you know what, this is not Star Trek for kids. It's just an animated version of Star Trek. It's an interesting thing to say Star Trek for children or not, or, or how that is, like who's the audience? Because I really do think that the message that Star Trek tells in all its iterations is for everyone. You know, you could literally, there's there's information that you're getting. And and I, you know, like I was, I've been saying since uh, prior to being on Star Trek, uh, you know, I, I'm, I've been doing so much more, you know, I don't even know what we call it, you know, uh, procedural stuff, you know, just modern day, whatever, right? And I thought that this is, oh, this is really good. This is how you tell stories. I didn't realize that under the awning of sci-fi, you can tell real stories. You can tell real life stories with messages to help in hopes to change this world. When we animate it, we are actually trying to get that other audience. We want to bring that other audience in to see it. So, you know, you could think, you know, I guess because there's, I don't know what, pretty ladies on there that it's sort of adult. Uh, I think it's still, you know, it still absolutely feeds into um, a child's brain. You know, it can absolutely uh, um, inform them and, and again, make them feel powerful. You know, could you imagine, think about it, right? Right now we have these, you know, this silly little phones with Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and whatever, and children are doing that, right? That's where they get their, their information. Could you imagine sitting with a bunch of young girls watching that episode when, when Uhura gets them all on the uh, transporter to come down to rescue them? I mean, I, I, I know I'm not a child anymore, but I know I, I felt really like, yeah, come on, we got it. Let's do it. To have to give that message to young girls, to know that they're powerful, that when in, in, a, in a pinch, in an emergency, they're the ones that could actually be the heroes or the sheroes. I mean, it, uh, it literally is for, it's for everybody. And I, that's the thing that I'm, I'm forever continuously amazed about when I think about Gene Roddenberry. I just can't. I, and I, I say that, I know I said the crystal ball thing, but it is kind of amazing how progressive he was thinking and yeah, yeah. how bold he was with the stories they told. I mean, like everybody talks about the Nichelle Nichols and, and uh, Shatner kiss in the uh, that one scene, that one episode um, in that one moment. But I, I wish they would. I hope they, they, they watch that whole episode because yeah. it's really like there's some stuff going on. There. There's a whip comes out. You know, I mean, there's there's. It's really, um, it's and, and again, it's sci-fi. So we have this sort of way of going, oh, I'm just watching this. It, this is just entertainment. But in truth, it's literally talking about our history mm -hmm. and the things that we have, you know, oh, the good, wow. and the, yeah, the good and the bad that we have as humans done, and oh and and being able to sort of polish it up and put a, a costume on it and film it, we can watch it. But we literally are taking in information of how we how we deal with each other as humans. 
I mean, it's, uh, you know, he's uh, <laughs> an amazing, amazing man. Oh, for, you know, that the episode you're referring to, it's called Plato's Stepchildren. Yes. And, uh, you know, you're, the, 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 the point that you brought up is something I never thought about. And and that's just one of the beauties of Star Trek is that you're, you know, here we are all these years later. And, and even during the duration of this podcast, this episode in particular, and just over the the 83, you know, that we've done so far, um, you know, we're still discovering new things, seeing new perspectives, new way of looking at this. And, uh, you know, I got to say that that we are closing in, Michelle, mm. on 900 episodes of star trek that had been broadcast since 1966 wow wow there's no other that's there's no other there's no, no yeah no. not even close right what does it mean to you to be part of this mythology scott i'm so sorry like that literally i'm just a little emotional at this second so sorry <laughs> That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, this is because I'm so humbled and I'm so thankful and grateful to be a part of something like that. I didn't even really put it into words or concept because um, mm -hmm. that's big. That's really huge. It is. It and is. for almost 900 episodes in 50 years, you know, we this show has impacted people and. Yes, entertained, but changed people's lives. And the thought that I have any bit, any little bit, um, a part of that is um, is amazing. And I'm so honored. I'm so humbled and so honored. And I appreciate it. And I understand it. And I carry the torch with two hands. And I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm blown away. You know, I, I, I never say overwhelmed because I always feel like when people say they're overwhelmed, just like, no, no, you're not overwhelmed. You can continue on and I can continue on. But in this moment, I'm a little overwhelmed. <laughs> you are you are more than just a little part of this, Michelle. What you've done in these three seasons of Picard and what you've done with this, with this third season for the duration of these episodes you know, bringing it, bringing it back and giving this proper send off to the next gen crew. That's a mighty big part and bravo to you. Thank you for everything you brought to this series and very, very, very big. Thank you for being a part of this incredible conversation. I cannot thank you enough. I cannot thank my friends at CBS and Paramount plus enough. Michelle, all I can say to you is keep going boldly. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. I will. I will take that and I will be bold. I will be brave. I will continue on beyond the stars. I will continue fighting for optics. I will continue showing the curly hair, <laughs> um, you know, emboldening and, and empowering the people who feel like they have no voice, that they feel like they're not seen. We are seen, you do have a voice, you are important. I'm so thankful that we're all here together and let's make this world a better place. Absolutely. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us on Enterprise Incidents and all the best to you. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you so much. <laughs> Scott, I have to tell you, we've had some incredible guests on Enterprise Incidents, but 
this interview, that interview you did was one of my absolute favorites. Uh, Steve, I mean, that means the world to hear you say that. She was absolutely delightful. And just the power of her emotion, just, just I guess when you hear almost 900 episodes that you're a part of something that is that that long and still counting, it must have really hit her and just, you know, was such a genuine heartfelt, passionate conversation. And I'm just, I'm just really grateful that she took so much time out of her busy schedule promoting Star Trek Picard season three, and not only did a, a, a super long interview for us, but also went and watched the Laurel Eye signal to prepare for it. That is dedication. And I, we are all supremely grateful. So we want to hear what you think of the Laurel Eye signal, please go to our Facebook page, which is Enterprise Incidents. Let us know and make sure you subscribe and follow our Facebook page while you're there. And uh, I want to give a very, very big thank you to Sabrina Wood, Tommy Harper, Yvette Blackman, Mom, Tom, for for joining us. I mean, this was so, so much fun. So Sabrina, tell us where we can follow and listen to Sci-Fi Sisters. I'm going to let Yvette tell you. <laughs> Yvette. <laughs> I usually do it. That's why. Yeah. Well, the best place to find us is SciFiSisters.com. And we usually spell it. So it's S-Y-F-Y-S-I-S-T-A-S.com. And you can find us on all of um, social platforms. Uh, if you type in S-Y-F-Y-S-I-S-T-A-S, you'll find us pretty much on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> Patreon, um, yeah, Instagram, we're everywhere, and on the Trek Geeks and Instagram, and and we're part of the Trek Geeks Network, so you can find us there too. And, and you know, just uh, Tommy, if you could tell us uh, some of the great guests that you've had on Sci-Fi Sisters. Oh my gosh. Okay, we've uh, we've been really blessed. Um, we've been able to talk to. David Livingston, uh, producer extraordinaire, Nana Visitor. Most recently, uh, we've had Alexander Sudig. We were blessed beyond measure to be able to talk to uh, Sonequa Martin-Green. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. We, and our buddy, Sirach Lofton, uh, we have... Um, it's been a really fun ride and uh, beyond our wildest dreams. And so, yeah. So if you check us out, you'll see a multitude of guests on there from, uh, from different series. So of course uh, you can join us on social media. You can search for enterprise incidents on Facebook, enter incidents is us on Twitter, enterprise incidents on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show at all the usual podcast places like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, or Google play. We're also on YouTube, although it's audio only, it's not video. You can subscribe there. You can leave your comments on YouTube. You can leave your reviews on Apple podcasts. And if you want to support the show, right in the show notes is a link to Anchor where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. It's as much as $9.99 a month. We definitely really appreciate that. That's what helps keep Enterprise Incidents going. So if you can support the show, please do. And if you want to reach me, you can do it at SR Morris on, on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. And if you want to get into some movies on my podcast where women also take over and save the day, a few of them that we covered are Alien, Aliens, Terminator 1 and 2, and the classic film, a league of their own. I love aliens so much. Scorny Weaver. It is still just one of my all time favorite movies. Sorry to digress on that, but you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at movie Mans. And like Steve said, uh, please go to Apple podcasts so you can leave a review for enterprise incidents. Those reviews are very, very helpful. And, uh, 
I got to say, you know, we are now four episodes into the animated series, and this is a great Star Trek series, period. It is one where we are seeing so many veterans from the original show now write for the animated series. That is certainly the case with our next episode, which is written by David Gerald, and it is a sequel episode to probably the most popular episode of the anime of the original series that is the trouble with tribbles so please join us for the next voyage on enterprise incidents which is more tribbles more troubles or is it more troubles more tribbles you'll find out join us next on enterprise incidents and until then keep going boldly <laughs>